Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. Well, here we are, uh, two Sundays before Christmas, and uh, we're closing the book of Acts. You know, I noticed in the uh, first service, just teaching through is kind of one of those times I forgot about how just, uh, in some ways, some of the uniqueness of what I do, that you come to an end of a series like this, and we've gone through the Gospel of Matthew, and then we carried on and went uh, through the latter half of the chapter of Acts, and I'll just tell you, that it's kind of this point, there's almost for me personally like this, you end this series, and there's a bit of sadness, a bit of joy, after you spend 1,200 hours of your year studying and preaching and so forth for it, it's kind of like, man, um, it is sweet. It is sweet, and the story continues. The story continues. Um, I want to begin with two images for you and want to keep them up during the time we're just uh, studying God's Word. And the first is over here on the screen on your left is the scene of the nativity of Christmas as we partake and uh, have special focus on this time of the year around the birth of Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. I want to keep up over on uh, the right screen um, picture of Paul, the Apostle Paul in Rome. And um, you would look at these two pictures and you go, my goodness, these things have nothing in common. Um, well, they do have a number of things that are unlike each other. So let me acknowledge a few of those that are unlike. One is, is that uh, this picture really represents uh, what took place in a tiny little town called Bethlehem. Uh, this one is taking place in the capital city of the Roman Empire, the two very different places, if you will. We have uh, one over here uh, the, depicting a newborn baby. Uh, over here, we have a man uh, being depicted who is uh, almost 60 years old. We have over here in, in the birth uh, the reality of what we just sang about the almighty Son of God come. And over here with Paul, we have uh, not an almighty, but we do have a redeemed child of God. And how cool is that with his story? We also, just as one more thing, we have over here uh, a Savior. A Savior who has come uh, to uh, die on the cross. And over here we have what is the departure of an apostle. This is really the last year's coming up for the Apostle Paul's life. There, there's a number of very unlike things in, the, in these two images, but there's also a, a couple similarities I want to highlight. Uh, one is, is that both of these images depict uh, the reality of lives and worlds being turned upside down and inside out with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Both of them depict that reality, and just kind of drilling into that a little bit more in the nativity scene, uh, earlier this year, first half this year, when we went through the Gospel of Matthew, uh, obviously you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and those telling us about the arrival of Jesus, that he was lived among, 
And then he died on the cross and, and rose again. And, and in that, all taking place in the tiny little nation of Israel, and yet turned that tiny little nation inside out and upside down. But it didn't stop there. You go to the end of the Gospel of Matthew and you have the Great Commission mission uh, being given. And really the image of Paul is telling of that. Uh, he carries on this idea of the reality of the Gospel going and turning the world inside out and upside down. And with that, and he's taking it not just from the tiny little nation of Israel, but he's taking it out into the seat of the world at that time. And the gospel is expanding and increasing. Both tell a story of lives and their worlds being turned inside upside down. Also, there's a similarity in that both of these images have a to-be-continued reality to them. You see this baby being born and and it's a beautiful scene and a new child that's come. And, and yet you know that it is not just about that baby being born. There is a to-be-continued reality coming out of that birth of Christ. And by the way, here with Paul, there's a to-be-continued reality. In fact, the book of Acts ends with a to-be-continued reality. The book of Acts does not end the way you and I would think it would end. It ends quite different. Uh, as the birth looks forward, so does the end of Acts. It, they look forward to what's going on. Well, let me carry that just a little bit more. If you haven't already, open your Bibles to Acts 28. Uh, we're in the last verses of Acts 28 in this uh, series. And... Uh, uh, the book of Acts ends with Paul declaring the gospel in Rome. Um, as I noted, it ends unlike what we would expect it to, to end. Uh, we've, if you've been traveling with us here in this series, uh, we're in this fourth ministry trip essentially of Paul, and it's kind of like we're on pins and needles waiting for Paul, waiting to be told about Paul standing before Caesar in Rome and proclaiming the facts of Christ as we saw earlier in Acts and being said that he would do that and yet we come to the end of the book of Acts and we don't see that. We also would be expecting that he would do that and then it would tell us have like this image of, of Paul on a horse riding off as a gospel gladiator into a sunset kind of a thing and finishing the story. But it doesn't finish that way. It finishes in a kind of a way to where the story is to be continued. And friends, you and I are not only what comes out of that to be continued, but you and I are part of that what's to be continued with it. Let's uh, look at the final words of verse 14 and kind of work this out here together. The final words of Six words of chapter 28, verse 14. It says, and so we came to where? Rome. You know, that's a short little statement, a short little sentence, but there's so much behind that. Uh, we could unpack that, but I'll just kind of summarily say the Damascus Road is behind that story of Saul, uh, one who hated Christ and Christians and was persecuting them. And then the Lord Jesus Christ shows up and um, puts Paul face down and literally changes his life and his eternity. 
and uh, the Damascus Road. Then we have what we saw here in Acts with the three ministry trips are behind that statement. And now what's been taking place in this crazy uh, voyage to get to, um, to get to Rome. And he's there in Rome. He is in Rome. Let's pick up verses six, 15 and 16. And uh, the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. That sounds like, I don't know, like Avon with a strip mall or something like that. Uh, But what it is, is these are actually a couple towns that had those unique names to them. So people are coming, and Paul thanked God and took courage. Paul's in Rome and people are coming to him and how he's just encouraged by brothers, sisters in Christ, verse 16. And when he came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Uh, there's a number of things we could make mention about all that. I, I'm just not gonna get into it. It doesn't matter where he was at. It doesn't matter even the setting of some of the things. That's not the important point today. I kind of want to keep our attention on the big picture of concluding out the book of Acts. So we just know that he's this. He's in Rome. And understand, we have a way of cleaning things up and making them too clean and sanitary. Know this. He's in Rome, and yet he's a prisoner of Rome. And look at the text. He's chained to some dude who's a soldier of Rome. And that would have normally been the thing. He's not like in some little nice apartment that he's got here where it's all cozy and kind. He's like somewhere in this to where he's kind of in a, uh, I don't want to even say a halfway house because uh, in it, it, he's chained to a guard, okay? This is not like life is dandy sweet and all uh, candy and cookies at Christmas time, kind of with what's going on. That's a situation. Let's keep going. Verse 17, after how many days? Three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. This was one of the things that Paul would do all the time. Remember in the whole series going through, we see again and again in Acts, he comes into a city. The first place he goes is into the synagogue. He pulls his own people together and begins to have a conversation. Uh, the, his, his people, the Jewish people, are primary in his heart, and he's always coming to them, loving on them, and trying to have them hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. He calls the local leaders together, and when they had gathered, he said to them this. He said, brothers, it's a cool way to start, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, by the way, it's our fathers, see the inclusion here, brothers, our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty or to set me free because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against any nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain." Paul here is kind of in this first time with them. He's letting them know uh, some uh, history of what's taking place. He's a prisoner of Rome. He's chained to a guard. And in this, look at verse 17. He's telling them uh, four facts. First one, verse 17, that he's done nothing against his people or the customs. He is not a, a, a hater of his people. He is not that at all. He's letting them know that. Secondly, verse 18, there's no real case against him. Uh, As a result, the the Romans 
wish to set him free. He's just saying, listen, there is no case against me. This has all been a a concoction that's put together, and, and the Romans, in fact, they know it, and they want to set me free. Verse 19, but Paul made an appeal to Caesar as a result of the opposition. He's like, I just want for you to understand how all this came down and why I am here chained to this guy. It wasn't because of anything that I did wrong. He's not blame shifting things. He's just telling the facts of the reality of how he got to where he is. And and in this, uh, he made an appeal to Caesar because of the opposition that was going on at the time. Verse 20, he's a prisoner in Rome for believing the hope of Israel. So important. I uh, don't have time to fully unpack that today, but let me just say his comment about that. Basically, he's saying, Brothers, I am about the same thing that you are about. But you need to understand this the hope of Israel, of both of which we are both about, the hope of Israel, I am telling you, has already come. And that's the deciphering, differing issue that's going on here. So he makes a statement, and uh, uh, they reply, verse 21, and they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you, but we desire to hear from you and what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against so in this whole conversation, I'll just say, what a, cool, what a cool response. They're like, we want to hear you. We want to hear what you have to say and where you're coming from. Uh, know this, they are skeptics, and they stated in there. It's like, we've heard things about you and where you're coming from, and we really are not on the same page, but we want to hear from you. Uh, in this, know this, friends. Sometimes we could get all in a tither about skeptics. And skeptics are okay. If they're truly thinking skeptics, bring them, interact with them. There's no reason to get upset or angry or offended. In fact, I think I could make an argument that the Jewish leaders here are rightfully thinking, if you will, I'll say it this way, rightfully thinking critically about Paul. Why? because they are all about the hope of Israel, the Old Testament. There is one that is coming that is the Savior, and they are about that. Paul is about that. It happens to be that Paul says that it is Jesus Christ who lived. They are like, wait a second, I want, we don't think that's the case. They have a right to be skeptical, because it is the most important thing of all. There is no more important issue in life. Is Jesus the Old Testament Messiah or is he not? If he is not, we're wasting our time. And you and I are being fooled. That's a straight up fact. But in it all, we should be the kind of people that are asking, is he? How do you know that he is? Let's dig into it. Let's dive into it. I don't want to just believe it because my parents believed it. I don't want to believe it because a friend I have seems to be a pretty moral guy. I don't want to be able to believe it just because, well, it sounds nice, and after all, you kind of have to if you got to do the Christmas gig. Um, no, they're skeptical, and Paul is inviting with him. Now, take a look at what happens. This is so cool, verses 23, 24. When they had appointed a day for him, by the way, not a breakfast, not a lunch, not a dessert, a day. 
how cool that they made that much time available. I think it tells that they really wanted to hear Paul and they really wanted to interact with him. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. Uh, these are leaders from all around the area. Uh, from morning till evening, Paul expounded to them. You know, you and I going through this series aren't surprised by that because there's been other times where Paul talked a whole long time. In fact, the one time where uh, like a teen kid fell out a third floor window falling asleep on the dude. And uh, so this is not a normal, but know this. This isn't Paul talking like how I'm talking with you today all day long, okay? This is the kind of thing, it's implied in here. This is an interaction. This is a time of talking through. And yet in it, uh, from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus. Both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And look at verse 24. And some were convinced by what he said. And others disbelieved. Let's look a few things on this. So he expounds, he testifies, he tries to convince. Note how Luke writes this, and Luke is telling us he's not expounding like, well, here's my philosophical thoughts on this. Over my life, I've kind of developed these philosophies and these personal ideas on how things should work. He's not doing that. You see what the text is saying? He is expounding, he is testifying, and all of the expounding, all of the testifying is coming back out of the Old Testament scripture. He is going back to the Torah, uh, to the the beginning books of the Bible. He is going back to the prophets, uh, if you could say uh, the, the major rest of the part of the Old Testament. The point is, is Paul is going back to the Old Testament and he is dialoguing with them. Why is he doing this? Because he is saying that Christ is the Old Testament Messiah. And if you're going to argue that, let's argue it out of the base of truth, not just out of our own philosophical thoughts. Because frankly, you and I don't have enough wisdom to be able to base everything off of our own uh, philosophical thoughts. Because when we get to that point where we think, I know exactly what it is, I know how this should work out, you are now putting yourself in God's seat. And you can do that. God in his kindness has allowed you to do that. But just in love for you, I just say be careful. Because you are not truth in yourself. What we are about is this. The word of God. And that's why we believe what we believe here. That's why we have the word Bible posted up on our name. Because we're about this. And this is what this is about. And Paul is going back to the scriptures. And, to, and can you just imagine that dialogue? That must have been, so, oh man, I wish I, and, and then the Roman prisoner tied to Paul sitting there during this thing. <laughs> I mean, I will tell you, if you've had the chance to be at a meeting with leaders of leaders, it is like Freaksville, but awesome. Because things are taking place there in that world that are unlike most other meetings. 
And I'm gonna tell you it's the same way, having been 20 years in business and now these years in, in ministry, I will do anything I can to be able to sit in on a meeting with other leaders. Not because I have anything great to say. In fact, at times I've been called Mr. Invisible at meetings because I just love to be there. I just love to see what's going on and how leaders think and how they process. And I'm telling you, I look at this this meeting and I'm like, oh man, I would have loved to have just been that Roman guard chained there all day long and watch, watching the funkified conversation that's going on all day, and hearing Paul take Jesus back to the Old Testament and showing, this is why I believe in Christ. Remember, Paul used to be one of them. And here he is interacting with them and how his whole world got turned inside out and upside down. And here Luke tells us a few more things about this meeting. Let's pick up verse 25. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet this. By the way, quick comment on that. I just can't go by it without saying it. Right there, Paul just made a declaration that he understands that the Old Testament is is God-inspired. You see that? He doesn't say, oh, let me take you back to Isaiah and what Isaiah said. He said, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers. Let me read from Isaiah here what Paul then says. Verse 26, go to this people and say, this is some 800 years earlier, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, Paul says, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And essentially, that's where they said, at least most of them, we're out. We're done. Paul takes them back to this time in Isaiah when God's people at that time, some 800 years earlier from 60 AD, God's people are hearing from Isaiah about the Lord. And God, through Isaiah, is telling his people, Isaiah is saying, you have eyes to see it, but you're not seeing it. You're spiritually blind. You, you, you it, it is being declared before you. But, but it is like, it's like you can barely hear. You're spiritually deaf. And it is a very sad statement. And the Apostle Paul is grabbing what God had said uh, back in Isaiah's day, and he's basically declaring it as he's in Rome before the Jewish leaders there in Rome. And it's a sad declaration. It's a scary declaration. Because understand, these Jewish leaders were very religious. But in their actual religiosity, they were blind and not seeing and not understanding. 
and they were not knowing. Religiousness does not equate to relationship with God. It's gospel amnesia. Gospel amnesia. It's when the greatness and the goodness of God through the work of Jesus Christ is forgotten. And what's happening here is the conclusion of Acts, it's kind of reaching back and telling us and reminding us of this past story that's been going on now for centuries with God's people. And in that, what's been taking place is that God has continuously been revealing himself, but in it all, uh, his people have been blind and, and ignorant and unhearing to what is taking place. That's what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden, when the goodness and the greatness of God was forgotten in a moment. That's what happened in Noah's day, when people forgot the goodness and the greatness of God. That's what happened when the Hebrews were exiled and and then uh, miraculously and marvelously brought out of Egypt in slavery and and put at the foot of Mount Sinai where the, the presence of the Shekinah glory of God, if you will, was residing there before them. And they got to see God move them and, and place them. And it was there that, that God was calling his people to be a people that are a proclaiming priest to the world. And they forgot gospel amnesia. And then it continued. Time of the judges, even through the Davidic kingdom time, even in the days of dispersion in the Old Testament. And then it was gospel amnesia at the birth of Christ, when the very hope of Israel had his feet on the ground. It was gospel amnesia at the cross and the resurrection for most. And then some 30 years later in Rome, here Paul is seeing the unfolding of the whole story, if, if, for him personally, the whole unfolding of the story of his people, a people that were greatly blessed, greatly placed, even given a promised land place, and even a people greatly called to be priests who proclaimed to the world, and yet gospel amnesia, gospel amnesia, gospel amnesia, gospel amnesia, and it continued all the way into his day, and then when it comes to it, he's like, What happened in Isaiah's today has not changed. Repent and turn. I am glad the book of Acts did not end there because it would be a very sad ending. You see, here I think what Luke does is he goes back and he tells Paul as Paul looks back and he has this, brings all the past into this present conversation and then basically Luke finishes out with actually this to-be-continued wonderful statement. Look at verse 29. Do you see verse 29? Got your Bibles open? See verse 29? Okay. If you have a King James Version or a New King James Version, you have a verse 29. 
If you don't, you don't have a verse 29. Why did someone steal that from my Bible? Okay, let let me just quick understanding Bible translation moment. Uh, This is one of the things I absolutely love actually about our translations, particularly nowadays. When the King James Version back in 1611 came out, it was a phenomenal, phenomenal translation of the Bible. And in that translation, now when you skip ahead a number of years, and frankly, if I took the time, I just don't have it, went through and understood what computers were able to do even for us understanding ancient languages and pulling manuscripts together is phenomenal with what we have. And during that time, uh, what, part, what began realized was there are some of the very earliest manuscripts did not have what was verse 29. But it was a little later after the earliest of manuscripts that we had had this verse 29. And here's the statement out of the New King James Version. It says, and when he had said these words, Paul, when Paul had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Uh, what we've kind of, and I agree with, come to the, the way the manuscript uh, process works is, is most likely Luke did not write that. But the way Luke ends, probably someone added this in and got in some of the latter manuscripts, and that became noticed. And so in that, that's why present uh, New Testaments, or like the New International Version, New American Standard, ESV, which is what I use, English Standard Version, or others, so forth, don't have that verse because there's question about it. And let's not play with questions, let's play with reality. By the way, it doesn't change anything. And know this, what they said in the New King James Version, and when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves, probably happened. Okay, just a little bit of Bible moment there. All right? So if you're wondering who stole your verse 29, that's the background. And so we finish with verse 30 and 31, the book of Acts. He lived there, how many years? Two whole years at his own expense. I'm not going to go into it, it's just not that important. And welcomed all who came to him. He's still a prisoner of Rome. In verse 31, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. When you first read the book of Acts, you get to the end and you go, but what about standing before Caesar? What about Paul on a horse as a gospel gladiator riding off into the sunset? But then when you come back to it, and you see, I think, what the movement is here, you see Luke, is the Spirit of God, working through Luke, is telling of this moment, of this gathering of the Jewish leaders in Rome, and this thing that comes out of that, telling about the past, bringing it into the present, and then it finishes with, he is proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, boldly and without hindrance, even though he's chained. Dot, 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 to be continued. The beginning of the book of Acts, Acts chapter one, Jesus said, and you will go to Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and beyond to the ends of the earth. Come to the end of the book, and the gospel is being declared to the ends of the earth, and there's more earth remaining. And we pick it up. 
We are after the dot, dot, dot. As Paul was positioned, so we are positioned. Big picture for a moment. Genesis 3. After Adam and Eve sin, the Lord tells Eve and Adam and Satan that the offspring of Eve, an offspring of Eve, will be bruised by Satan, but that offspring will deal Satan a lethal blow. That's called the cross and the resurrection. In Genesis 3, it began. Go to Isaiah 7. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. This is some 800 years or 750 years-ish before Jesus was around and a virgin is gonna give birth. Excuse me, but how does that happen? Not artificial insemination, but a virgin will give birth, will conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us, Isaiah 9. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by mankind, oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before the shears, so he opened not his mouth. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and with his wounds we are healed. Jeremiah 17, uh, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Micah 5, 2, but you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth a savior. Zechariah 9, shout Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. Hundreds of years, centuries of time before this person, Jesus, showed up. And I would venture to say that Paul on that day very likely was going back to those very texts out of the Old Testament and helping them come to understand, listen, this Jesus is the one. And John 1, and John saw Jesus coming and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sin of the world. And though we want to hear of Paul standing before Caesar and declaring the facts of Christ and riding off into a sunset, instead of that, the book of Acts finishes better. Paul, with a limp, a redeemed limp, is chained to a guard in Rome, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Dot, dot, dot. To be continued. As we've gone through this 
sermon series, being a people, continuing the mission. Let me summarize the sermon series on the center screen. It began with us talking about the first three weeks, us being a spirit-dependent, to-the-world, doors-of-faith people. A people that are increasingly strengthened and encouraged, advancing, engaging, fearing less, and a people mighty in the scriptures. A people who are transformed, entrusted, and although living in our own world of hurts, we are telling our stories, telling of the sure hope that we have in Christ. And even while living in a corrupt world, we are a people of theological clarity, a people living by faith, a people who are about blessing others, a people continuing the mission. That for us has been the latter half of the book of Acts. Oh God, May that be our story. Let me finish with uh, kind of three ties to all of this. I am so grateful to have walked through this year with you through the Gospel of Matthew and then continuing the story into the latter half of the book of Acts. I'm so grateful for that time. Thank you, and thank you for allowing me the gift of being able to have the time to study and prepare and by, hopefully, by God's grace, move us along in understanding uh, those texts. Thank you for that. I think as I look back now to the beginning of the year, I, I stand here and I go, I think actually without even, without even knowing it, Going into the year, the Lord prepared us sovereignly. Three things come to my mind. Number one, a new church name. We entered 2019 not knowing that we would be venturing into changing our church name. After all, what churches do that? But by midway through the year, and on Sunday, June 23rd, uh, we took a Sunday and I talked with you about why we as a church, we as leadership, think that's the right direction for us to go. In fact, if you want to, if you weren't here or you're newer here, you can go back to online, you can listen or watch that June 23rd of this year that, on that Sunday. Um, you can watch that. Um, next Sunday, we are going to be announcing a new church name. <laughs> how, how unique is that? How cool is that? One of the things we've learned over the recent months with church names is you can kind of base it off of all different kinds of things. You can base it off of an association, like in a denominational association, Baptist, Lutheran, Methodist. Uh, you can base it off of an affiliation. Uh, that's where our name came from. We are the 25th church plant out of Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. And uh, that's where our name came from. You can also tie it to a location like Westside Church. That's not gonna be our church name. Um, but you can tie it to a location. You can tie it to a desired statement, 
Like over the years, there's a couple, there's a couple short little statements, and this is why I was not invited to be on the um, beginning process of the church name. Process. But, uh, but like part of it was, uh, one of the statements has been, Big God. It kind of came actually in the, when we were in the theater days, it just in a very beginning series, Big God. And so I was like, how about Big God Church? And they're like, you stink. And, uh, <laughs> and then I thought, well, we went through the Mark series, and every time I read the word immediately, I hear some of you, you know, how about Bam Church? I love that, actually. But yeah, I got voted off the island on that one, too. Um, but you could do it by a statement, or I remember, there will only be a few of you that remember this, probably. Remember Flip Wilson back in the 70s with his TV show, and he had the church of what's happening now. No, I didn't even like that one. But they can tell, they can make a statement, or, or names can tell a story. And I'll just, I'm not trying to play with you, I'm, I'm really not with this. I just, with so much of this, it has reminded me that Matthew and Acts are a story. It's a story of God at work, of redemptive history, from the time that the God had created things to where everything is moving, and we are existing in a story, and we are part of living that story. We are the dot, dot, dot after this. And I'll just say this, whatever our church name is, may Matthew and Acts drive us. May the gospel of Jesus Christ and may the going of the gospel of Jesus Christ be the thing, okay? Us growing, may the center screen be the thing about what's going on. I believe this series has unexpectedly, sovereignly prepared us for a new church name. Secondly, I think it's prepared us for a new Christmas season. Um, You say, well, this is another Christmas season. No, I want to actually call us to take what we've been learning as a church through Matthew and Acts to a new Christmas and to be individuals who purposely connect this series into this time of year. Give gifts. Love on one another. Maybe it's just bear with one another at times. Families are so unique, aren't they? But in this Christmas season, may we see the big picture. In fact, if I could, I think Simeon in Luke chapter two makes note of that. He sees the big picture. He says this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. By the way, which were right in his arms. That you prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. He is the light. And may he be the brightest light in all of the Christmas lights in your home this Christmas. And third, I think this series has sovereignly prepared us for a new decade. If I can say it this way quickly, Acts finishes with a question mark and an exclamation point. The question mark is that dot, dot, dot. The question mark, I think, even for us is, will we pick the baton up or will we be satisfied? Are we just good with where we're at as individuals? Are we good with where we're at with the gospel being proclaimed to our communities and beyond or more? Not more for us to pat ourselves on the back, but more for the goodness of the Lord. 
Are we going to pick it up and are we going to carry it in the kind of way where we can, in a year from now, in 10 years from now, be, pro, be saying, yeah, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. More of that. It also has an exclamation point. The gospel groundwork has been laid by Christ. The gospel groundwork in carrying it out has been laid by the apostles, by uh, Paul in getting the gospel out. It is there the hope of Israel has arrived. The hope of Israel is expanding out. He is the light that permeates the darkness. And might we be a bright light with other good gospel teaching, gospel preaching, Jesus-loving churches. May we carry it on into the coming decade. And so, Lord, we ask, would that be the case for us? God, we are a limping people, an imperfect people, not a perfect people that have our acts together. God, that does not define us. What defines us is for those who have Jesus Christ as their Savior They have the hope. The hope of the second person of the Trinity that has come, born of a virgin, died on the cross as the sinless sacrifice in our place, doing for us what we could not do for ourselves and making that death and that resurrection to life available to all who would receive. God, I pray if there's anyone in this room this morning that does not know that they know that they know that they have an ongoing, real deal, living relationship with you, oh God, I pray that they would ask, that they would be like those leaders who come together and want to hear from the scriptures how this plays out so that they can make a decision. God, I pray that we would be that kind of church that plants, that kind of a church that waters, and the kind of a church that is trusting that you will give the growth, that you will change lives, that you will be the redeemer, not us, but you. So Lord, at this season, I pray that the light of Christ would be bright in our homes. proclaiming him without hindrance and with all boldness. Thank you that we get to be a part of who you are and what you're doing. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.